are listening to Up To Me Radio, the best in inspirational talk radio. It's up to me. Well, hello, everyone. This is Reggie Hammond, and I'm really excited to bring you another episode of the Finding Your Forte podcast show. We have a really exciting guest today that I, um, let's just say it has been some time now we've been trying to get this conversation set up. Uh, We've worked through all of the challenging and competitive calendars we both have, and we are here today. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm excited to introduce you to Corey Ruth. Corey and I have been uh, partners working um, on projects in which he's had an opportunity to deliver for clients that we share for a number of years. And he is a president and CEO of Mergence Capital. So that, that, that And I'm sure he'll tell us all about it during our conversation. But Corey, welcome. Thank welcome you. to the Thank Finding you for Your Forte me. Show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. 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 Uh, so much that I want to get into with this conversation, and I'm really excited that uh, we were able to carve out this time. Um, just as a reminder for our listening audience, we like to use these episodes as a way to introduce you to really talented, purposeful professionals that are doing great things in the way that they're delivering the work in the through the lens of their purpose, tapping into their passions. Leveraging their strengths, um, igniting their motivations in ways that show up um, uh, through the lens of purpose, which is really what we're focused on as an organization in terms of empowering purpose for leaders, for teams, and for organizations. So Corey and I have had the um, honor and the pleasure and the the trajectory of partnering on with a, with a number of uh, other clients that we've been able to work together over the years. But I don't want to steal his thunder. Yeah. Uh, Corey, if you don't mind, can you kind of give us a little bit of a flower of your career yeah. to date and, um, you know, some of the work that you've had um, the honor to deliver, yeah. even even encapsulated, and I know there's a lot that you could talk about, so I'm sure right now you're going through, yeah. like, figuring out what to share, but even to put into context the really important uh, work that you do as from an advisory relationship on the, in terms of the technology landscape yeah. for, the, for, for, you know, for the state. So, yeah, so yeah where, wherever you want to start, I want to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you drive. Yeah, so, so I, I guess I'll start by saying this is my uh, third startup. Okay. Um, it's, it's. Um, I mean, we t- tend to think of startups as, as like a proprietary technology, but it's my third startup. Um, the first startup was um, Most Deft, 
um, which started during the dot-com bubble, and it was a dot-com. Um, and when the bubble burst, we sort of rebranded as like uh, technology advisors and, and te- uh, a technology pro- project management house. Is okay. essentially how we did it. Okay. And, uh, and and we we kind of lucked out and and landed a contract with uh, American Express when they acquired Harbor Payments, um, uh, which was a a mid sized payment processing firm based. When was that? Like that sounds familiar. Yeah, that was, when was that, that was like two thousand seven. Okay. Okay. And um, so um, yeah, so we got picked up essentially by Harbor Payments, but at that time because of the uh, acquisition, they were American Express, so we got this great brand oh, yeah, um, yeah. as sort of a launch client, okay. and that's really what got us into management consulting. And we also was blessed because one of the founders of Harbor Payments really kind of mentored us okay. uh, through management consulting, and, and that kind of was what got our feet wet, and that brand kind of opened the door uh, for us to get into a lot of the Atlanta-based Fortune uh-huh. 500 to 1,000 firms. Okay. Like, Fiserv and NCR and et cetera. And so, what was the yeah. project that you guys were that was that 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 work centered on? That was the uh, technology integration portion of the merger. Okay. Um, so there was a couple of verticals that came out of that mm-hmm. that turned out to be what our brand is all about. Now, right. Right. So right. The first one was American Express wanted to uplift the security posture of. Harbor Payments uh, through the merger. I bet they did. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we did uh, security certification with okay. Verizon. We did their PCI, their first PCI. Okay. Um, uh, Look, no, don't get too all technical yeah, on my audience, sure, sure. Corey. Yeah. 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 So we, got, we got involved in that piece. And okay. then the other one was uh, they had to migrate their data center. Okay. They had four data centers. They had to consolidate them into one and migrate them. So okay. we did that. Okay. And then the 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 final sort of vertical there was just all of the integration for any merger that you have right. to do personnel and apps and all of that kind of stuff. You so, know, it's, coincidentally, we've never had this conversation, yeah. but coincidentally, I did a post-merger integration myself. Okay. And I know that the, you know, kind of the technology piece is really the, you know, nuts and bolts of it, it, but it's the processes and the people yeah. And the cultures, and then yep. thinking through what's the new organization look yep. like, who's in charge, yep. which organization did they come from, um, yep. when they're, which, which, which really could be the more challenging part is like some of the post merger integration That's work. It. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we got a lot of you know post merger integration work mm-hmm. after that. Okay, uh, which is why we renamed as Mergence Global. Understood. Oh, and, okay. Uh, I see what you did yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> so, Oh, yeah. awesome, awesome. So, okay, so that was kind of your start, and yeah. then did that kind of catapult into Emergence, um, or, like, yeah, so like how did, how did after that? that, we were like, so who are we now, mm-hmm. so we're not That's an deaf. interesting question to answer, yeah. do you know what I mean, especially in the middle of delivering work. Well, it's a scary question to I can imagine. <laughs> when, well, when I'm sitting in front of you, because it's like, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get to the bottom of it. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to the bottom of it. So. But um, yeah, we and then most depth we felt was not a corporate, a good corporate. You know, it was great for a, a tech startup, but okay. it was like, all right, if we're going to be doing this kind of work, okay. we might need to change from most depth. And and um, and so 
we we actually put this. Now in. wait, I'm sorry, the hip hop head in me yeah. just wants to just <laughs> to just I got I, I, you mentioned it that was a brand before, but of course I want to know yeah. like what came first was it the 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 rapper or the most up brand? Wow. And was there any connectivity? <laughs> and are you a fan? Like I got questions. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, people kept saying I look like most deaf. I see it. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, plot twist. I, didn't, I, see that I absolutely see it. So, I was but like, you put a T on the end. I or? put a T on the end for deft. Obviously. Okay, yeah. So, um, but it's no T at the end of most. Okay, so it was just I spelled it his name and put a T at the end. So, got it. Got it. That was it. Yeah, got it. Do you, it. That, were you a fan all the way back to Black Star? It's a whole other no, podcast. I wasn't now. even. I wasn't even a. Uh, I would okay. call myself a fan of him. I like right. his work, right. but I, right. I would never like. I don't think I ever looked for a song that he did to listen to. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. Okay. I just like, I have to see your playlist. There, okay, yeah, see your playlist. And you know what? I, I will also say is that he's probably he might be a better actor than he is a rapper. I, don't I know mean, he's now. I'm a fan of his acting. Oh, okay, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, but I remember I was like, we were trying to figure out something, and I had these guys actually doing the work that were in Philippines and India. Uh-huh. And they were the, really the cool ones because they were like, every time I came up with a name, it was like, nah, that's not cool enough, that's not cool enough. Wow. And it was like, <laughs> one of them kept saying he was adamant. It has to like really sit in the hip hop space. And so I was like, well, you know, people say I look like most deaf. Uh-huh. And so he was like, that's it. <laughs> and then he was like, well, but I don't think we can use his name. Right, you can't. Right. So I was like, well, just let's actually put, because um, he's abbreviating deaf. Right. So let's actually right. put the T on the end of it, and that's what we did. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, all right. We're, we're, we're over that uh, yeah. pivot, but yeah. I, I like it myself, yeah. so I'm excited about yeah. it. So the birth of Mergence Capital. Right. Um, and um, So well, it was Mergence Global. Okay. Demands we saw the firm. Now, we yeah. have Mergence Capital. Okay, I understand. Um, which kind of came out Get of... Get the brand straight for yeah, me. My so, apologies. So we started doing a lot of work in Israel. Okay. Um, I used to work for the governor, okay. and we took a trip to Israel. You, but you ain't just gonna fly over there, yeah, yeah, like, okay. without without yeah. telling people what we're what we're talking about yeah. here. So talk about that. So so I worked in the governor's office um, for a year, and um, when I I actually took time away from Emergence Global, worked in the governor's office for a year, and I went back. Um, and when I went back, we got we got a contract with NCR to do their. Um, acquisition of a Israeli firm called Retalix. Okay. So I'm I'm back and forth to Israel for the sort of duration of that of that engagement. And um be right as it ended, I got a call from the governor's office and hey the governor is planning a business mission trip to Israel and would like you to help to recruit the technology executives from Georgia to take this trip over there with him. So I helped recruit 32 technology executives, mostly CIOs, CISOs, et cetera. Work, work with you to bring a navigator management partners over yeah, there. Yeah, I remember that. You remember that? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and so we, we, while we were over there, we really kind of went through their entire tech ecosystem. Okay. And, I mean, it was actually probably more demanding of a trip than people expected right, it to be. Right, um, The takeaway was to try to somehow um, map 
what we're doing in Georgia to what they're doing in Israel. Okay. Um, Israel is seen as the other Silicon Valley. And so how do we... Little known fun, fun fact. Little known... What's, 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 what's behind that? They actually, on a per capita basis, have more unicorns than Silicon Valley does. Um, Interesting. They, I mean, they're a startup country, right? Their country got started right, up in, right. the, in the 40s. Right. Um, so they had to build a government, build an infrastructure, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely, so yeah. now they have this like startup culture there. Right. That's really fascinating. Right. And so we were trying to figure out, okay, what, what are they doing? So they really marry government and the startup community in, in real interesting ways. Like, I'll just say this, their venture capital community when they identify a startup that they want to invest in, the government will pay $9 for every $10 that they invest. Oh, wow. So oh, wow. it spreads the venture capital money, yeah. mm-hmm. but also the government is making decisions based on what the venture capital sees, venture capitalist sees, not based on what the government sees. Now that opens up a whole yeah. another world of like, so does that mean that the government has equity in all these startups and or is it that like I mean I think about what we do here in the US that's similar might be when cities um, like build stadiums with football teams yeah. or for, you know when football franchises yeah. build stadiums and you know cities make co-investment you know uh, deals there is it similar to that in terms of the ownership and equity? No it's uh, they have a chief scientist okay just they just actually changed that name, and I don't I don't remember what they changed it to. But okay. this office is responsible for the startup ecosystem. Okay, so all the hubs, the technology hubs, all the making sure that they're connected, making sure the laws are favorable, mm-hmm. and in the case of you know startup capital, a venture capitalist says, "Hey, Reggie, we like your." your technology we want to invest in it so then the, ch- the chief scientist will say well how much are you going to invest we're going to invest a million dollars right they put up nine hundred thousand the venture capitalists put up a hundred thousand and you have your money okay and because okay. of that they've been extremely successful we worked with um a startup called um fort scale okay user behavior analytics okay they were bought by rsa security um so that's I mean, it's just an amazing sort of experience. I did my capstone project at at Georgetown on the startup nation and how we can create that bridge to Georgia, um, making Georgia the place that they go to. So so Israel is so small, it's about the size of New Jersey. Mm -hmm. A startup can saturate Israel very quickly. So then they have to either go to Asia, Europe, or the U.S. The U.S. is seen as like production. So you're like, let's go to dev, let's go to, um, you know, design first before we go to production. Once you go to the U.S., if you're not ready, it dies and, and you don't come back. So, understood, understood. So essentially, they'll go to Europe or they'll go to Asia. Some instances, they go to Africa. They really try to blow it out. And then when they get mature enough, they try to come to the U.S. So the goal is to make Georgia the, the landing pad for when they come to the U.S., Okay, that is incredibly exciting. I'm sure we could spend some time talking about, but I really want to kind of take back, you know, get back 
into the trajectory, you know, kind of closer to some of the work that you're delivering now. Yeah. And, you know, because we have um, partnered on a number of engagements, I just personally know of how critical you have been to clients delivering uh, some uh, incredible projects, yeah. and, uh, you know, kind of transformational initiatives yeah. here based out of the Atlanta area yeah. um, and some that you're even working on now. Yeah. Talk about like the, the the thread that connects those projects and the roles that you've been able to play in some of them. So, um, well, we did a project um, with Fiserv. Exactly. Right? And that was right. a tier one project. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then um, the we did this project that we're doing now with with Cox, mm-hmm. um, Cox Enterprises. And so um, the thread is that for whatever reason, uh, I've been really good at supporting the principal or the CIO or the CISO. Right. And so I've, um, throughout my uh, time with Mergence Global, have really just kind of fallen into this sort of chief of staff role right. or, or senior advisor role where I'm supporting the principal person. I'm looking at their entire portfolio, right. trying to find efficiencies, trying to make sure we're getting sort of productivity from areas that they uh, don't generally expect to get productivity. Right, right. Um, and just basically what I found is that technology executives um they don't come up through like the B schools, right? Right. These right. are guys who were um, in the eighties and nineties, the dude in the basement the doing break fix, the developers, yeah, right. the ones in highly the, dependable, exactly. Yeah. So then now near the CIO, and it's like that's great. Keep the business running, mm-hmm. but also we got this merger that we have to do, yeah. And we need you to sit and talk to the board about right. about that, right? Um, and so. When it comes to the business side of being a CIO or being a CISO, they they find comfort uh, in what we provide in helping them do that. So we've helped them build presentations. We helped them prepare for their presentations. We helped them navigate, you know, conversations with leading customers, like in the case when there was a breach at Equifax. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of stuff we really help them do. Yeah, that's a really critical role. It is one that is easy to, you know, kind of underappreciate, but you really slot in that way really well, which is the dot that connects these that these engagements. But it will be easy for someone listening to that to think, you know, Corey is this one man organization yeah. delivering yeah. work. But you have a really unique kind of go to market strategy, yeah. which, you know, we have had the opportunity to work in the ecosystem of a number of firms doing similar work, but their model is typically they've got leaders in the firms, you know, kind of driving the practice, growing the business, building the relationships. Mm -hmm. And then they bring in folks like you that are, and they're more hands off, you know, just checking in on the relationships, making sure, but you lead from the inside. So you lead from in, in the way that you delivered for clients projects. And then you bring, Along resources as you need them in order to, um, um, you know, be able to meet the requirements and yeah. a lot be able to flex with the demand. Yeah. So, Corey, talk about, you know, what that role has been like yeah. for you and the ways that you engage these clients in that really critical role and um, like what 
critical success factors you need to be able to embrace in terms of being successful in those types of roles? So having the perch of being sort of a chief of staff or support to these principals, I've been able to see management consulting from their lens. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, what are the things that they are frustrated about? What are the things that management consulting firms are doing really well? They they don't seem to be able to get away from management Mm -hmm. consulting firms, Mm -hmm. even though they have a lot of frustration about them. Okay. And one of the things is the leading from within. It's like your way, the person that I need the most is the the person with all of that experience and expertise in their head that tends to leave me after the engagement gets right, started. Right. And then you put all these practitioners here. Well, I have a team of people who can do practitioner work. Right. Pra- practice. Right. I need you. I need your strategy. I need your advisory. I need you right there. Right. And I don't have that. And so I was like, well, I can play that role. Well, it, I just ended up playing that role. Right. Because right? they bring right. me in to play that role. The other thing that I found that um, a lot of management consultants do is they hire they recruit out of college mm-hmm. and that person will find their entire career as a consultant. So right. they don't have anyone who actually has worked on the other side. In industry, yeah. And so right. I call it corporate grade. They don't right. have any corporate grade experience. Yeah, understood. So a lot of times they give Easy you Easy now you talk about me, but go ahead. But they'll give you because <laughs> you need both. <laughs> you you need, need both. both. Yes. For I sure. know exactly what you're talking about. For sure about, you need both. So but they don't have they don't have they'll provide a strategy that makes sense, but just the, the reason why projects are failing is not because of bad strategy. Right. It's failing because they're not delivered in a vacuum, right? right? So right. you have competing interests, you have limited resources, yeah, you have changing right. priorities, right. you have, you know, um, what I call corporate politics, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and so this director over there mm-hmm. does not believe in the direction that we're going in. And so he's blocking it. And so if you don't say, let's put a strategy together to figure out how to navigate the politics, mm-hmm. forget the strategy, the right. technology strategy, right. let's figure out how to navigate the politics mm-hmm. and, and get buy-in and, get and, buy-in yeah. and mm-hmm. actually knock down these roadblocks right. and not just put not just mark right. it yellow on, right. the, on the status card, right. which a lot of consulting firms do. So I just was trying to figure out how can we how can we be in the gap between what management consultants deliver that makes these executives happy, which is the fact that you've been a consultant right. the entire time and right. you have this language right. that you speak and you have this You've been seeing all of these different companies do the same thing. You know what's being done right. You know what's being done wrong. All of that is great. They're missing that sort of um, sort of bridge between what this executive knows and can do and what his team can deliver and their bandwidth that they have and what you, the value that you bring. And so I've just been trying to be in the middle. The problem is that typically leads with me right. on site, and I haven't figured out yet how to hologram myself? Well, I have. It just takes. Well, investment. you shouldn't, right? I mean, the businessman <laughs> of me should know you, 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 you're uniquely you. But you mentioned a couple of things that I just cannot like yeah. pass up the opportunity to unpack a bit. And I just had an epiphany for as long as I've known you. Uh, I've never really kind of figured it out. Is you know what people make at least on this call, but most of those that know you is that in addition to your business and technology prowess. 
you have a politics prowess and a, a trajectory. I've never really thought about how you bring that acumen mm. uh, from, you know, your uh, expertise in the political landscape, particularly here in the state. Like that's, I'm sure, your playground, yeah. if you will. Yeah. But how you take, how you can bring that to organizations to navigate the politics of successfully delivering projects where most people would think that either happens or doesn't happen organically, you actually bring it very intentionally, intentionally yeah. around just managing all the stakeholders around successful projects. Yeah. That's really fascinating. And you talk about um, projects leading, you know, projects you know, succeeding or failing. And I just remember seeing some research some years ago that yeah. talk about um, a third of projects are successful. Another third of projects are either delayed in some way, and then another third of them are, are you know, fail. So there's yeah. a, a lot of a lot investments of yeah. in projects to have so many of them like not fail. You know, I would imagine this this understanding the political landscape that drives the success of a project um, is a make or break factor for a number of them. It is. I, I I just think that when when uh, take the case of of Equifax post breach, mm -hmm. you've had executives being let go mm. at the highest levels, mm -hmm. um, and then in addition to that, you have their four largest customers, Amer Bank of America and and Wells Fargo and uh, J P Morgan, et cetera. You have their largest customers saying, "Hey, um, we want to see you meet." a certain security posture right. within a certain time frame right. and we need to be updated. You had 20 some odd states suing them and they had their own security demands. And then you had the car brands, American Express, Visa, MasterCard, Discover saying, hey, by the way, um, you passed PCI compliance uh, a month before the breach. We want you to go through it again. We're only giving you three months to do it. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, you have all of this happening they brought in PwC, 200 consultants there, and the CIO for this for the United States was like, "I need my own guy. Yeah, like I yeah. can't rely on PwC. Their loyalty is to the CEO. I need my right. own guy." Right. So he he asked around. Somebody said, "You got to have breakfast with with Corey." We had breakfast. Started that. I think the next day I was on an offsite mm -hmm. um, planning session with him and his and his team, and then we and then we got started and and um, we went through their recertification effort um, around the the car brands and talked to the the state's attorney generals and, mm -hmm. and and talked to their leading clients and we did all of that um, to help them. But the biggest challenges was not with the external groups; it was navigating all the politics internally mm, mm, mm. because everyone was looking over their shoulder. No one had trust. Everyone was, wow. you know, trying to You're find so another right. job, You're so right. you know, some, everyone was like, if, if, if you look into that area, you might see a mistake that my team made. Right. So I want right. to block you from looking into that area. It was so, um, you know, just toxic post breach. Now it's a, great organization it was great before right mm -hmm. you had that right. undercurrent mm -hmm. um happening where they were overlooking some things but it's a really great because they fixed a lot of the issues that other people are probably still 
sitting on. Wow. Right? Wow. Um, but in that moment, it was just so toxic and so um, crazy. I don't think people were seeing straight. And it's like if you haven't put together a strategy to navigate the politics of this, you're never going to get success. Wow. Corey, I, um, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat because I just, for the first time in my long 25-plus illustrious career of either personally responsible for delivering projects or having them have to be delivered in the sphere of influence of the work that for relationships like client, I've never in like specifically and intentionally articulated the necessity for managing and navigating the political landscape for delivering projects. I mean, it was stuff that I did, you know, innate and I, in some cases, really similar to you, often got the call to kind of go get people to talk, you yeah. know what I mean? It's, you know, notoriously business and technology folks, yeah. you know, get stuck with communication right, yeah. challenges. But um, I, you know, I'm so into this conversation that I forget that we're recording a show. But what I, w- I want to do is take a pause, but I want to set, um, I want to set up what I would like to get into when we resume this conversation, and that is this thing that you're beginning to surface that is going to set up a great announcement that we have with you, and yeah. this is that is the difference in managing projects and leading projects yeah. and um, what that looks like in terms of the trajectory of your own career, and then how to how we can or what you can do or what we're planning to do mm-hmm. so that you can have really important conversations that other technology executives might be able to lean, lean, lean into where, to your earlier point, they have their careers to this date may have come up in a very technology-centric space yep. and now they've got a lead, right? Yep. And we, Which hasn't necessarily been... Anyway, yeah. I'm all excited about yeah. it, but let's take a break and Perfect. we'll come back and kind of yeah. take that back up. All Absolutely. Right. Thank you. I always had to be so good, no one could ignore me. Carve my path with data and drive. But some people only see who I am on paper. The paper ceiling. The limitations from degree screens to stereotypes that are holding back over 70 million stars. Workers skilled through alternative routes rather than a bachelor's degree. It's time for skills to speak for themselves. Find resources for breaking through barriers at tearthepaperceiling.org. Brought to you by Opportunity at Work and the Ad Council. Okay, we are back. I am so excited to continue this conversation. I just feel like we're just like on the brink on the of brink, so many yeah. things that we really want to talk about. Yeah. But just to bring um, us back to um, the pleasure of who we are having this conversation, we're we're continuing this conversation with Corey Ruth. Um, and as our conversation has unfolded, we're discovering he is um, a political a business technology um <laughs> you know, uh, thought leader that we never really kind of articulated in that way, which is really fascinating because in both of our um, experiences, we recognize how um, how important that is, but how, and sometimes, you know, our colleagues really kind of take that for granted. And so, you know, there's much, so much more that we could talk about there. Frankly, we ought to save it for something that we put into a jar and put it on the shelf to sell. But more importantly, I really want to set up this conversation 
um, around what you have observed in what helps make technology executives, particularly those having to deliver, you know, these business critical transformational uh, initiatives, you know, what you've observed about how how they navigate the different requirements of managing people and projects and teams versus leading people, projects, and teams. And I just want to kind of leave that open there and just let you freestyle for a bit about what your observations have been around that. Yeah, there's. I think it's there's different styles of technology leaders. And in many cases, you have um, the hands-off uh, person um, that you don't see a lot on the IT floor because they are up in the boardroom, they are in the senior C-suite, and they are just spending their time around those leaders. Um, and then they're bringing back to the IT floor the IT uh, projects and initiatives that's going to come out of the conversations that they're having every day. And those um, uh, leaders tend to be very um, adept at um, talking to the senior leaders and less technical. Um, and what I found from those guys is, hey, and, I, and this actually happened once, a CISO took me to the edge of his office and we looked out on the IT floor, and he said, you see all of these guys? I said, yeah. He says, I don't trust any one of these guys. Wow. And I need you wow. to filter for me what they're telling me. That's a powerful. I got to go back and grab to tell people what a CISO is. Okay. So <laughs> uh, CISO is a chief information security, security officer. officer. And I, I want to keep Corey honest and trying to use our, our technology yeah. abbreviations that he's used to. Uh, yeah. So he knew he was talking to me, yeah. but I got to keep you all Thank you for in that. the conversation as well. But that's, a, I mean, that's that says a lot. Yeah. That says a lot. And I think about it in the context of, you know, a lot of my coaching with teams usually – I use this tool called the five dysfunctions of a team. Mm. And if you are familiar with the approach that they take, uh, that the model takes, you can envision a, a, a triangle that has five stripes through this triangle. And there are these five dysfunctions that if you don't have the bottom one, then you can't have the ones above it. And it starts out with the lack of trust. Mm. So if you don't have trust on your team, then you can't have healthy conflict then you can't have accountability, then you can't have commitments, then you can't have results. Mm. And so this whole trust thing is really deal breaker. It's really, it, it, yeah. it, it, I mean, I mean, he basically said, when, when he said that, he basically said, I, we won't deliver anything successfully because, you know, unless I can get yeah. you to do what I'm asking you to do. Well, I mean, I, I and again, I think it's the evolution of, information technology mm-hmm. because that person used to just be break fix in the basement you never right. see them right. unless they're coming up well, to they your used desk to call the, it the pizza board the, the, you get yeah. the pizza under the door you That's make it. the pizza and you pass it back under the That's door That's it and now <laughs> they're having to integrate into this whole business this Imagine whole corporation that. right and talk to and people, talk to people. <laughs> yeah. and and so it's like okay a lot of them feel uncomfortable and then when you think about the type of person that is a technologist they are an introvert a lot of time. They are people who they're very technical. They understand their stuff. You talk about, you know, architects. You talk about developers. You talk about systems analysts and all of these people. 
um, you know, the first thing I do when I go into an organization is the senior executive would be like, okay, so we got you a desk right here by mine. And I'm like, no, I need to be in the basement sitting next to those guys because if those guys don't trust me, I'm not going to be able to give you good information. Wow. And so wow. it's like I need to be buying them lunch. I need to be buying them breakfast. I need to be their guy. And the first thing you need to do is fight some battles for them. <laughs> Make them happy. Make That's them so, trust you so before smart. you get That's to the so point where you're, where you're fighting battles for the executives. Right. Um, it's very much my dad was a union guy, uh-huh. and I feel his sentiment in them. He was always talking about demand and, <laughs> and what management was right. trying to do. Right. And and I just remember hearing that union talk coming out of my dad, and that's how I feel about it, you know, that they feel like they're being dumped on mm-hmm. and that, mm-hmm. you know, no one really cares about what they're doing. And so, um, so that's one of the things that, you know, um, that's one of the types of managers. The other type is the highly, highly technical one. He's on the floor with the guys. He's in the weeds, but he don't have a clue mm. how to talk to the senior leaders. He don't really have a clue what to do when he leaves their office with an initiative or a task or how to translate that into you know, the technology space. And for that person, you're helping them build um, presentations for the boardroom. You're helping them interpret data and analytics from from what his team is doing, uh, so that he could speak in plain speak mm-hmm. to um, his peers and senior leadership that's in the business. Um, and so they typically have good trust. I, I'm I'm looking at one in my head mm-hmm. that goes to lunch with his team every day. And that guy is just really good from a technical perspective. A Georgia Tech grad, knows his stuff, came mm. up from the bottom, worked his way all the way up to the C-suite. Right. But, you know, having to sit in those rooms and be able to cut off a CFO and say, here's the problem with that idea, right. that's a whole nother uh, challenge mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. he's experiencing. So just being able to find, first of all, what's this person's style mm-hmm. and where do they need me to fit in? You know that's 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 so fascinating. Again, we're it's almost like we're in this part of the conversation. I often find myself talking about the art and the science of delivering projects, mm-hmm. and this is more the art, right? Yeah. This is stuff that you're not going to find on work plan. Yeah. Work plans that says, "Hey, build a healthy political relationship with all your stakeholders," although it should be, it should you be. know. Yeah. Uh, and it makes me think about the difference in what managing and what leading projects looks like. And that, when I think about the difference, I think about managing projects and programs. I think about work plans. I think about status reports. I think about um, you know just making sure that the tactical execution for a program is happening. When I talk, think about leading, I think about what do you need to say to others, what does your relationship need to be with others? So they're willing to run through a brick wall for you. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that they are creating outcomes. Well, they so that they are um, empowered, um, positioned to be able to bring their best mm-hmm. to a project without you having to navigate them through the tactical side of a project. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and. I'm really eager to hear not only your perspective, um, but other perspectives of those that you 
have relationships with is like how they navigate between those two. Mm. I mean, I for me, I think at a tactical level, it's about um, you know in in agile development now and they have uh, personas. Right. So I try to create right. personas for all of the stakeholders and all the people mm-hmm. that are around. And mm-hmm. I'm like, what key initiatives? My coach used to say, the more you sweat in peace, the less you bleed in war. So when you wow. get there, wow. before That's you need them, you go in, like, can I have lunch with you? Can we have coffee? What projects are you working on? And they think, oh, he's a consultant trying to expand, trying to upsell. No, I need to know what initiatives you're running and how those things are going to run the conflict <laughs> exactly with my right. client. That's exactly and right. I need to know, like, if I got to come to him to get him to do something for my client, I know exactly what button to press wow. with him because wow. I know what. And if that means that I let me let me help you on that, then I'm going to help him on it. But just being able to, to put those personas together. Now, I'm imagining that some of us, that's innate. You almost have those personas just innately. Mm-hmm. But it's a good practice to like put it down and say, here's this person's interest. Here's mm-hmm. his strong person on his team. Here's a weak person on his team. Here's where his projects interact and cross over yeah, with the projects yeah. of my client right. and stuff. And you may never need it. And then there's times you do. So, um, but, but navigating between, you know, actually – you know, managing projects and actually leading, I think is the difference between um, understanding what challenges these folks. The challenge to leaders today is is not technical, mm-hmm. but, their, mm-hmm. but their job is technical. Yeah, it's exactly right. It's exactly <laughs> so right. they're thinking, I got this. I've been managing technology all my life. Right. But the company's not asking you to manage technology. Right. They're right. asking you to manage people. That's exactly and right. And budgets. Get things done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Help yeah. us figure out how we could fully integrate this other company. Um, we, 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 when NCR acquired Retalix in Israel, they were, Israel has a different week schedule, so they start work on Sunday mm-hmm. and end their work day on Thursday, their work week on Thursday. And they also have a totally different holiday schedule. Because they're not a Western country. Right, right. So they don't celebrate Christmas, right? And we do. Yeah. Their new year is different than our new year, mm. right? So two things happened, and that was a $650 million merger. Two things happened that was into really three things. First of all, they bought them for their technology, their software. We did an analysis and found out there was they were fighting and fighting about integrating their TS, TS, TSL, um, uh, Microsoft, mm-hmm. and no one could understand why they were fighting so hard. It was like, dude, just assimilate to NCRs. Mm-hmm. But it was fighting and fighting and fighting. And we did analysis of it and found out that they actually use TSL because they basically give their software away and then they're making their money off professional services. Mm. And they use it to build out their entire invoicing. Oh, and so everything's centered around mm-hmm. their use of that. Well, so now now you understand why they're fighting so hard to keep it the way that it is. Mm-hmm. The second thing is we went – I was in Israel, and I'm seeing all these Microsoft guys go in and out of this conference room. And I, I pulled over one of the executives who I had built a good relationship with and a good rapport with. And to this day, it's like she's like my sister. Like I know her family, her children. Um, and 
<laughs> she says, well, they're, they're showing us a way to do, basically do an end around um, from, from an architectural perspective what, in, what NCR is asking us to do. And I'm like, listen, no. this is an American Fortune 500 company. Mm-hmm. They will level this entire floor. <laughs> like, you cannot approach it this way. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if you give me what Microsoft is sharing with you, mm-hmm. let me present it as an option to the U.S. executives and put pros and cons around it, they might keep it. And then, um, and so being able to be on site and see what they're dealing with and know that you can't, as a leader, just say, we're going with an assimilation approach and think people are going to just follow you. Yeah. um, It's so important. And that's that's another reason why I'm such a advocate of face-to-face you know, working face to face. If right. you are in this space as a project manager or right. something like that, you need to be seeing people, reading body language, seeing infle- hearing inflections in people's right. voice. And you can't do that over Zoom. Can't do that over Zoom. Right. Right. You got to have those water cooler conversations. Like a lot of times, mm-hmm. you get the scoop coming out of the restroom right. or right. at the water cooler right. or at the coffee shop. Right. You don't get the scoop when you're on the meeting. And it, and it, and it immediately puts into context, you know, where you might think travel to somewhere to have those might be might look like an expense that's yep. sometimes out of hand. When you think about the kinds of the the investments that companies are making in these huge yep. initiatives, and that they might hinge on these water cooler yep. relationships, I mean these expenses are minuscule. So I brought up the the week schedule and holidays because. We had three deliverables, one on December 1st, one on December uh, 24th, and one on January 1st. And these were all go lives Mm -hmm. for payroll and compensation and HR Mm -hmm. for NCR. And NCR is trying to do it without having a team on site. And I'm like, listen, you're talking about going live with a group in another country while you're on holiday two out of the three times, and they're on holiday the other time. Wow, wow. Yeah. And so that doesn't make a lot of sense. But, the, you know, they likely didn't even have the prowess or the awareness to realize how much of a difficulty that something that's, like that would That's going to be. And, um, and so we, we ended up um, sending somebody over, and to your point, they look at it as an expense. They look at it as, a, oh, you just want another trip. Right, right. What I did is I didn't go, mm-hmm. but I sent a team of their employees to Israel because you essentially need either somebody that's going to stay the entire month or sending teams in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we just we just did a um, a sort of boot camp type setting, a war room type setting. We we mapped it out, um, and then we sent those guys ahead of time. Mm-hmm. It, ended, it ended up going working well, but at the end of the day, if you don't have somebody thinking about um, those challenges and how, look, their week ends on Thursday. Right. You're still working on Friday, right. sending emails, wondering why you're not getting right. responses. Right, right, um, Or – they're sending out emails on Sunday and <laughs> while you're either watching football or at church exactly. and you're trying to figure out what's going exactly. on. And so if you want this $650 million merger to succeed, 
you might want to put in some hours on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And you might want to get them to put in some hours on Friday mm. in order to in order to bridge this divide and make it successful. Yeah. You know, I um I'm fascinated about this con- um in this conversation. We can really spend a lot of time really probably going through each of your clients and describing this political landscape, but we've got a bigger um task to cover in this conversation, which uh, I'm excited to uh, have you guide um, these very nuanced conversations with other uh, technology executives? And so, the big news that we're going to share, we're sharing here in this episode of Finding Your Forte, is that um, Corey Ruth is going to host a podcast. Awesome. Um, and this podcast around uh, are you managing or are you leading on purpose? is going to be with a number of technology executives to have them navigate and share their perspectives um, around these things that they're thinking about. So this podcast that Corey is now going to host that I'm just, uh, I can't wait to hear this conversation. Um, He's going to bring in a number of the technology executive relationships that he has he might not know this part, but I'm going to bring in some that I have as well yeah. and cue them up. And he's going to explore um, how they navigate these conversations. And um, hopefully we'll all have the opportunity to learn from these nuanced political um, landscapes that they've been able to navigate to either create successfully or fail to, you know, project delivery. You know, failures are, are oftentimes the greatest um uh, opportunities to learn, yep. right? Yep. And I'm sure that usually when those projects are in your wake, that you could, you know, kind of talk about what worked well and what didn't. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I just want to um, first formally say welcome to the Finding Your Forte channel family awesome. uh, for a new show that we're launching. You know, share your perspective, you know, in terms of like what you're looking forward to having as, as a part of these conversations. Yeah. Well, I know that um, there's a a lot of people out there uh, who a are not aware that some of these professions even exist. Okay. Um, I don't know if there's any kids, you know, who are in elementary school saying, "When I grow up, I want to be a business analyst or a project manager or a systems admin." Mm-hmm. They they just don't even know those those roles exist. Um, and so, being able to introduce them to that world is is something that that I want to do. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, um, IT information technology is in every profession, so it doesn't Absolutely. matter the sector, it doesn't right. matter the industry. And if you are a nurse, or you are a school teacher, or you are a policeman, and you say, I want to change my career, and I want to get into information technology, guess what? You can get in as a project manager. You know the business. Right, right. So now you just need to learn the other side. And so this would give you sort of a bird's eye view into Absolutely. that world. Absolutely. And um, and then the other thing is just being able to talk to these leaders and, and, and really peer into their real day in the life from the moment they get up to the to the moment they go to bed, you know, you be online and you see people post like, I get up every day at five in the morning. I'm like, why? Like, is there a reason or you just do that? Mm-hmm. Right. So, and that's okay if you do. I'm just saying, 
you know, that's not necessarily tomorrow. I know too many successful people that don't wake up till three o'clock mm-hmm. and they roll up and smoke first and then go do it. And they, they're more successful than right, all of us. Right. So it's just not necessarily the right. mark of success that right. you get up early. And so to me, I want to hear what these guys say. They may say, well, yeah, I roll out of the bed at, at eight. And then I, um, I work from home for the first half of the day mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. I go in and, or whatever. So really want to be an parent to that. And then of course, how are you navigating the politics of of uh corporate america and uh and then and then also how are you engaging your purpose in what you do that you know um i sit here i'm super excited and elated to you know be a part of this series of conversations Corey and i are sitting here looking at this uh, debonair photo that we have of him on uh, this new podcast cover that we're going to be launching uh, on the Up To Me radio network in the Finding Your Forte channel. It's it's a sexy photo, y'all. Just wait till, you, <laughs> wait, wait, wait till we post it and share it. Um, he is looking very um, reflective out on the horizon <laughs> of, of technology executives and change. <laughs> but it's a great shot. shot. I, um, Corey, I'm so awesome. thankful that we were able yeah. to have yeah, this I conversation. Yeah, I am. Yeah, we've been putting um, it off for a long time, so I'm really glad we were able to get it in. And, yeah. And I uh, learned so much about myself and what I do, just talking it out. Well, so that's what I great, do. Yeah. <laughs> that's it, yeah. Like Obama says, when he hits that shot, leave yeah. the gym. It's what I do. It's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> it is what I do. Well, thank you. Thank you, thank listeners, you. for tuning in to a new, another episode of Finding Your Forte. We were really excited to be yep. able to bring you this one. I know that I knew this was going to be a good one. Yep. And uh, this is just a reminder as you go about your day and, you know, even as you think about some of the things that came from this conversation around navigating with intention around the political landscape, um, that uh, you have an opportunity to, you know, look for opportunities to find your forte, uh, compose your masterpiece and play your crescendo. Thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to the next episode.
Your heart and- 